0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, and I head J.P. Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today, we would like to discuss the de-dollarization of oil. Uh, I'm joined by Jahangir Aziz, head of J.P. Morgan Emerging Markets Economics and Policy Research. Jahangir, welcome. Thanks, Natasha. So through April, uh, we were largely tracking our price forecast from last November. So we're now off in our modeling and our price forecast only by about $4. So then we experienced a very big sell off at the end of April and May. So Brent price was trading about $8 below our model derived, derived fair value. And then the gap further widened to about $10 in June when we had to go ahead and downgrade our price forecasts. So The biggest fundamental miss behind our original view has been the unexpected large additions on the supply side in response to the rise in prices over the past two years from the US and non-core OPEC members, essentially rendering OPEC plus cuts less effective. Uh, But beyond fundamentals, the deterioration in the price could also be down to a structural shift that we're currently observing uh, in the global energy markets. So, number one, we have very big buyers of energy that can now buy energy at a discount from sanctioned Russia, Iran and Venezuela. Combined, those countries represent close to 20% of the global oil exports. Uh, So, we know that the contract price for EUROS is trading at a a significant discount to the Brent price, um, indicating the economic advantages uh, of those new buyers of Russian crude compared to those buying at the global price. Uh, But secondly, and crucially, Russian oil exported eastward and southward is now either sold in the local currencies of the buyers or in the currencies of uh, countries that Russia perceives as friendly. Regardless, it's no longer sold in the U.S. dollars. So this is not a new trend. The trend started in 2014 when Russia was uh, feeling the pressure from the sanctions after the annexation of Crimea. But the trend visibly accelerated in 2022 when we saw large and growing proportions of energy being priced in non-US dollar denominated currencies. Uh, so combined with uh, Iran and Venezuela, we estimate that to date about 18% of the global oil is traded um, in non-US dollars. You know, clearly most of the world is still uh, sold in the US dollars, but with Russia, the world's second largest exporter of oil, selling its petroleum exports in the local currencies of its customers, uh, other producers you know, clearly might find themselves following suit. Saudi Arabia is reportedly exploring the acceptance of payments in other currencies. The talks with China over Yuan-priced oil contracts have been ongoing since 2016, but um, you know reportedly that has accelerated in 2022. Uh, the Saudis also considering adding Yuan-denominated futures contracts in the pricing model of their Saudi Arabian oil. Uh, among buyers, uh, India, China, Turkey uh, all either using or seeking alternatives uh, to the US dollars. Um, so revisiting our oil pricing model, we find that the importance of the dollar has declined significantly um, in in the recent years. Um, so is the creator of the original pricing model, uh, would you please walk us through the numbers?
1: Sure. So yeah, remember in two thousand nineteen and twenty, when both of us were, you know, newcomers to the to the commodities and the oil 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 research, I think the search was for um, pricing model. Uh, that, you know, did not include 20 different variables, but a short set of variables. You know, oil, you know, famously as a market is affected by lots of different uh, considerations from politics to economics to financial, et cetera. Um, And while we were looking for it, we found that, you know, there are about, you know, Three variables that broadly explained about 90% of the variations in oil. And, you know, first of all, it was surprising if you remember, you know, when we were first discussing the model, that, you know, these just three variables can explain about 90% of the variations. But those three variables turned out to be OECD inventory. And OECD inventory was a proxy for the state of global supply, Uh, emerging market industrial production. Again, it's a proxy, and it's a proxy for global demand for oil. As an industrial product, or as a state of the uh, state of demand overall, and it was the U.S. dollar. Now, the U.S. dollar came in as a uh, you know something that you know measured the role of oil in as a financial asset. But typically, the, and the reason why it has that role as a financial asset is because of this very strong negative correlation between oil and uh, oil price and dollar and that negative correlation is based on the idea that oil prices are almost always quoted in dollars but the users of that or of the oil uh, have to you know basically look at oil prices in the local currency so when uh, you know, the dollar appreciates, which means that the local currency depreciates, that's an The cost of uh, oil in local currency goes up and therefore, uh, you know, demand for oil would go down and that, and with that, the price of oil. So, so these three variables were the ones that we were looking at and the model worked, you know, from, you know, we estimated the model from around 2005 to 2019 and the w- model worked, you know, reasonably well in in the in the post 2019 period, uh, you know there were obviously periods in which you know you had you had you know the misalignments taking place in the in the in the in the prices because of geopolitical risks, for example, just after the Russian war and things like that, which were not captured in the model. But broadly, the model said that look, uh, if Uh, OECD inventories go up by about one percentage point, then oil prices will decline by about three and a half percent. If EM industrial production goes up by one and a half percent, one percent, then oil price would go up by one and a half percent. And importantly, and this is the important part uh, uh, related to the you know issue that you're discussing, Natasha, which is that if the dollar appreciates by one percent, then oil price would decline by about two and a half percent. And we use that model to for as as a critical input to our forecasting model. and as, you know, you have been writing about it for quite some time, you know, that's not the only things that go into forming our view. So we should uh, tell the listeners that that is, you know, the, the model is just one large input into our pricing forecast but obviously there are lots of other variables that are not captured by the model uh, on which we pass judgment and make assessment and that's how we form a view but the model actually is was an important part of our forecast and was you know working you know been working reasonably well um, in in the last two years i've been using it uh, and i think that you know, as we had been discussing, we you have been discussing, uh, have been discussing uh, before this, you know, there has also been structural changes that have been taking place in the oil market. You spoke about the fact that, you know, a, a, a sp- proportion of this oil, even though it is still coated in uh, US dollar, is no longer settled in US dollar. So if, you know, oil is quoted in US dollar, but not settled in US dollar, but settled in some of the currency, then what really matters is not the, Uh, dollar, local currency, bilateral exchange rate, but rather the bilateral exchange rate between the settlement currency uh, and, and, and the local currency. For example, you know, uh, let's say that the oil is still coated in dollars, but it is now settled in uh, CNY. Uh, then what really matters for a, 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 a country that is settling in CNY is the do, is a, is a bilateral exchange rate between CNY and that particular country's currency rather mm-hmm. than with the dollar. Uh, so, because of all of these changes, we thought that perhaps it's time for us to re-estimate model, right, and see whether indeed uh, there has been a structural shift in all of this, right, and that's what we find. Uh, you know that the role of the dollar has fallen and has declined quite significantly uh, since the last time we we estimated the model. And, and that sort of was surprising to me, not so much that the role of the dollar had fallen or uh, declined, but the amount by which it had declined.
0: So this is a perfect segue to the next question, because that's majority of the questions actually to me are coming from, is that this de-dollarization trend in the commodity trade is clearly a boon for the countries, for the emerging market countries, yes, like India, China, Brazil, Thailand, Indonesia, all those countries that are buying at the moment significant amounts of, uh, of Russian oil so they can buy uh, oil not only at a discount but pay for it with their own local currencies. Yeah? So by definition this reduces the need for precautionary reserves of U.S. dollars, U.S. treasuries and oil as well uh, which in turn might free capital to be deployed in gross boosting domestic projects. So in your view how much of this year's outperformance of emerging markets is linked with the BAF narrative? And what are the implications going forward, especially considering that the trend will likely widen?
1: Right. So so just to give you a sense, therefore, of how big the shift has been, right? So if, if, I, if I take the entire sample period, and we have been looking at oil from 2005 onwards, right? And so if I look at the uh, period from 2005 to 2013, you know, the period when... Uh, in the super, the the commodity super cycle was still around, right? Uh, At that point and that period of time, uh, you know, a 1% uh, appreciation of the dollar would reduce the price of oil by 3%. If I then look at the period after the super cycle, so it is not just the end of the super cycle, it's the end of the super cycle, the pandemic, uh, and, you know, and of of course, you know, uh, the, the Russian war. So I'm looking at the period 2014 to 2022, in that period, compared to that 3% beta that we used to have, the beta now is barely 2.2%. So if now, in the last, you know, seven, eight years, if uh, dollar goes up by uh, about 1%, then the impact on the oil is just 0.2%. So it's almost negligible. And I think this is where emerging market comes into play, right? So if emerging market is increasingly moving away from, you uh, know, dollar from 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 settling uh, oil uh, trades in away from dollar to settling oil trades uh, outside of dollar. CNY being one of the favorite, uh, and dirham being the two favorite currencies. Uh, but it's not just you know uh, only oil, but it's also in other. Uh, trade where you see increasingly there is a tendency to move away from dollar settlement to uh, settling in, um, uh, in, in in these other currencies then I think that you know a, a large burden on emerging market which is always this a shortage of dollars so if you think about an emerging market country um, you know there is always this concern about you know uh, how do we are we seeing dollar shortages which is where you know uh when, when interest rates rise in the U.S., the impact is significantly more because that's what drives uh, U.S. dollar up and that's what creates the dollar shortages. Now, if you now move away from all of that and you start settling in uh, more non-dollar currencies or at least non Uh, I would say, G10 currencies more than that, because G10 currencies also have the same impact, then I think there is a significant amount of relaxation of that dollar or the hard currency constraint. And because that uh, constraint gets relaxed, uh, uh, emerging markets can actually grow probably a little bit more uh, and can trade a little bit more or not face the kind of massive... Uh, crunches that they would have to face otherwise, if it was when it was only dependent on the dollar. To your question, to what extent has this significant amount of EM resilience that we've seen so far in the first six months of the year, which actually, if you go back to 2022, also there was a significant amount of EM resilience, uh, to what extent is that because of this easing of dollar constraint uh, on emerging markets? Again, you know, it's just one and a half, two years of data, so it's very hard to come down and say right. this exact amount. Mm-hmm. But I would say it is, it is significant because this has been a key constraint for emerging markets, right? And if you take away this bigger constraint for emerging markets, then the relief, my sense is that would is significant, again, you know, can't give you a number because I think we have to wait for three more years before we can actually sit back and look at you know a reasonable amount of data to come up with some sort of a quantitative estimate. but my uh, my sense would be that this is this is going to be significant and if this continues, uh, I think emerging markets will find that they have much more space for them to grow uh, than in a world in which, they are so dependent on hard currency as a source of external financing.
0: Thank you, Jehangir. So de- definitely something to to, to look forward. Uh, thank you, thank you, Jehangir, for joining me today. Thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at J.P. Morgan at any rate podcast. We look forward to continue the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to J.P. Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 14th, 2023.